0: welcome back to the beyond the bounce podcast another episode another week Danny max on the line I'm here we're ready to get
1: going how's it going Danny it's going well man uh weekend treated me pretty well um and we're back and I'm excited we're back how are you doing coach
0: well you know I've been feel like I'm a road warrior I've been to two different colleges with my daughter <laughs> trying to get her to decide on one don't want to put too much pressure on it I know where I want her to go, but hey, I don't have to live there. So I'm I'm trying to make myself let it be her decision.
1: Right. You you were just at Butler, right?
0: Yeah. Today we was at Butler. Yesterday we were at North Central outside of uh, Chicago. Uh, We have been that was number five and six. So hopefully we'll be uh,
1: winding down pretty soon. Nice. Are you you going on like the whole the the whole shebang, like the tour and everything?
0: So since she's in um, being an actual athletic recruit plus academic scholar, so we get the academic tour and then we get the athletic tour. So you're talking about
1: walking around a campus for like three, four hours. (laughs) I remember going on my tours and by the end of it, I was ready to fight our tour guide. I was just like, "Let me go on my own. I will figure it out." Right. So, oh man.
0: So I'm trying to get her. Like, hey, you're on the tour. Can you pay attention? I'm not going to be here.
1: Yeah. Did you uh you get a chance to catch any of the football games?
0: I let's see. I caught the tail end. I was in and out of both of them. Um, mm-hmm. the goat. Um, it looks like he didn't need Belichick. Belichick maybe needed him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh as much as I hate to see it, he's back, and he he's the goat man he's the goat uh maybe what do you think three, four more years down
0: you know he's not playing in the snow no more so' it's, it's Tampa, so maybe three four more years on his body
1: i I do not know like in twenty sixteen <laughs> I thought he was done i I thought I was hoping he's done, but he's still here, and it sucks because you know i'm I'm a diehard ravens fan, so i have been we have been dealing with Patriots forever and finally we look like we're ready to go on a run on ourselves on our own and here comes Patrick Mahomes and it's just heartbreaking. <laughs> Patrick Mahome boy. That's what yeah. Who, whoever thought he would. Did you think he would be this good? Well let me tell you. I So I went to school in Missouri. I went to Mizzou. You know this um, but <laughs> I went like so all of my life for my whole life the Chiefs have been garbage <laughs> up until I went and lived in Missouri for four years. And all of a sudden they are the best team in football and all of my, like half of my friends are chiefs fans and they talk so much crap. And I like, I, it's so hard for me to see him be as legendary as he is already. It's just, you know, it's tough.
0: <laughs> so deep down inside
1: you, you have a Chiefs Jersey, right? <sighs> I, You know, the way I see it, man, (laughs) I want my friends to be happy, you know, and so if if it's tied to the Chiefs' success, so be it, but just so far, it's been at the peril of the Ravens, and it's just brutal to watch.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, I'm a, believe it or not, I was a news photographer in the city of Cincinnati when uh, Coach Marvin Lewis first got the gig, Mm -hmm. so... Being from Alabama, you know, Alabama's our pro football team. We're pro in college. Like, we probably could beat the worst pro team, you know, lining up. For sure, yeah. But the Bengals was the first team that I was actually around, like, on a a weekly basis. You know, sometimes I got to go cover the game. Sometimes I got to go be a photographer, cover some press conferences. But, you know, I was there doing Marvin Lewis, Carson Palmer, T.J. Mazada, Chad Johnson, Rudy Johnson. I remember Ugh. I think we went eight and eight eight and 5 eight, five eight and eight. You would have thought that the city of Cincinnati had won a Super Bowl but they, they it was excitement <laughs> over being eight and eight, and people would tell me you hadn't been here. you just got here, like like you don't know what it was like to lose all those years eight and eight is good. I'm like,
1: okay, you know <laughs> yeah, i the Bengals have also broken my heart a few times, so I no love lost there, but um. Yeah, no those are good teams honestly I remember Andy Dalton would flame us
0: that's my um so that's my adopted team who day not who that who they <laughs> yeah.
1: go beat those bingos
0: um uh, I, I, I live right downtown maybe like two blocks from the stadiums do, doing during those years and hey we had a good time doing those do during those eight and eight
1: years <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah that's uh that's kind of honestly I I respect the Bengals, I do, um, but I can't I can't root for them in the AFC North. So
0: I was a really big. So the closest team that we had growing up was the Tennessee Titans. I remember when they moved to Tennessee, they used to play in the Liberty Bowl. I remember my first pro game. My dad took me to see Vinnie Testaverny, the quarterback for the Titans, and I just remember people heckled him the whole game, and I, and I was like, man, fans can be so brutal. But I was a uh, diehard was i still am but not like i was i was a diehard Titans fan and then i followed him up for a while and then i remember steve air mcnair and i remember eddie george those days but i also remember oh, yeah. what what happened coming towards the end when they um actually locked him out i think they tr- got traded a couple of them and locked them out the training facility and i was just like oh man i'm
1: done with that yeah uh, one of the most famous uh, Baltimore Ravens plays is Ray Lewis ripping the ball out of Eddie George's hands.
0: Yeah, man. Ray, what do you think about Ray's celebration dance? Was it a little too much or or what do you think?
1: Oh, a little too much. It honestly was not enough. I, I still, <laughs> to this day, watch uh, YouTube um, hype videos of Ray Lewis's speeches and just celebrations. Uh, that man gets me fired up.
0: I mean, I, if I was on his team, I think I'd be scared of him. He'd be like, coach, I need you to hit the end in the block. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> okay, I got you. What else you need? You know, it's
1: like being around someone that intense, man. It's <laughs> I just saw a video just resurfaced of him um, playing cornhole in the locker room. <laughs> and he was just as intense playing that game as he was playing football.
0: <laughs> so man, I mean, some people just have that that the extra gear, and and they and they can just, you know, for him, he doesn't turn it on. That's who he is.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's. I, I want to know about uh, your extra gear. So let's get into this episode.
0: All right, here we go. Everybody, sit back, relax, and we're about to take you beyond the bounce. <laughs>
1: Keep keep, keep the political commentary to yourself. Or or as someone once said,
0: shut up and dribble. Welcome back. Beyond the Bounce, BTB, BTBP. You know, we found out it was another Beyond the Bounce on Spotify. So we just going to add the Beyond the Bounce podcast to, to the episode. So, but, you know, I contacted executive producer Danny a while back. This is Danny. This has been something in the making for a while, right? We yeah. Just, yeah, it has. It just took us a while to actually start get going. Right. But you know, this was a podcast. I had an idea. Uh, during the pandemic, there are a lot of podcasts out there, uh, and I thought I had this idea, and I talked to Danny. I talked to a couple more people. And I was like, "Hey, why don't we do a podcast? But we can talk about basketball. We can talk about sports. Let's, but with everything that went on this past summer, the pandemic, the George Floyd, the racial injustice, the inequalities, the LGBTQIA community. Hey, let's let's take this podcast one step further, and let's actually we'll talk about sports." But let's talk about real life experiences and some of the stuff that we we see going on in the world. And, um, you know, I was thankful to have Danny Matt join me on this journey with me. And, um, you know, so far, we're, we we kind of do things, we're doing things on our own beat. You you know, you hear people say you got to think outside the box. So with this episode right here, we're thinking outside the box because usually on a podcast, this is the first episode. But for us, this is the third episode. <laughs>
1: so what do you think about that d i i just i was you know i was going with it you when you get an idea man like it is the enthusiasm is through the roof and i i'm i'm hooked so i i was just riding with you and for a second there i was just gonna keep doing what we were doing but then (laughs) i just started sitting there and i said i just started thinking to myself why did jason ask me to be on this podcast (laughs) it just seems kind of out of left field and um i'm thankful for it i I, I thank you for the opportunity but i'm curious why you came up with not only came up with this idea you you talked a little bit about it but why you came up with this idea and also why you reached out to me to you know host host this podcast with you
0: well, I thought you would be would have a good I I know you would have a good spin on this podcast because you and I we literally come from two different like we're going to say back in the south. We literally come from two different sides of the tracks. Yep. But you know, in my lifetime, I have lived all over the United States, uh working in TV, working in athletics, you know, sometimes we just have to pick up and move. But I thought it would be interesting because never in my life did I think I would be living in California. Never in my life would I think that you're, would I th- have thought that your dad would be one of my best friends. <laughs> 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 Where like him and I are totally opposite. Yeah. They're fairly odd couple. <laughs> and I knew you were coming off the, coming off your, your uh, journalism degree from the Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And I knew your dad had been telling me all summer and all during the school year that you were producing this movie. You were flying back. and I mean, you were pr- producing this documentary, directing it, editing it, doing everything. You were flying back and forth from Mizzou to Vegas. Uh, you know. yeah,
1: yeah. Vegas. We were filming in Death Valley. So we were flying in and out of Vegas and then driving to Death Valley. And you know, I was so like,
0: damn, man, he got a whole crew. They're traveling with equipment and i just thought you know what better person to have on this podcast to be completely different age generation completely different experiences uh we have similar degrees but you know the everything that's different about us is also the same about us so i thought this would be a good good way to start and i'm i'm glad you accepted the invitation and, and came on yeah
1: I, i'm I'm glad you sent me the invitation because <laughs> to to be real with you um you know i knew you were really close to my dad um and but most of my uh, experiences with you came from my sister's basketball games and just watching you and my dad just go bizarre. <laughs> 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 and just just i mean <laughs> I was there for the entertainment value, but both of our, both my my mom and your wife were always the ones who were just they would be so embarrassed. I, I think my mom left a couple times. He just had to walk out of the gymnasium. But so my my wife told me
0: that uh, I, me and Richard and are not allowed to sit by each other because we feed off of each other. And then before you knew it, we're chasing the officials out of the gym. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's quite the sight, honestly. It's it's a one entertainment. But. To, to, to your dad's defense your sister
0: is over six feet tall at the age of thirteen
1: yeah uh she she's like sha yeah uh, yeah for her age she is she's she's not quite six feet I want that to be known because I am six feet and she's not taller than me not yet at least and uh that's something in the house that we uh we're we're competing over but she she's she's like a half an inch shorter than me which is just absurd. She's bigger than some of my friends, um,
0: and, which is crazy. And when she's playing in that age group, kids are literally hitting her, punching her, kicking her. Yeah. And the refs are like, she's bigger than everyone. Well, whose fault is that? It's not her fault. It's a foul. <laughs> it's a freaking foul, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and I um, I, I applaud your dad because if it, if it was my daughter getting plummeted like that, I think I would just be on the court. Every single time. Like, dude, a foul is a foul. No matter what the size difference is, blow the darn whistle.
1: Right. Well, to be fair, Kai, Kai gets tossed around sometimes, but she she doesn't blink. She just, like, rolls. She, she's like a tumble master. She just, like, rolls, pops back up, and she's back on her feet, and she's going. It, it's, they're an interesting combo to watch on the court. One's just taking the beating. The other one is rolling with it, and it's just – they're they're honestly it's great
0: (laughs) and then um you know coach smith which which also coaches with me at the university uh she's hard nose and so she she, she's hard nose on those kids and, and and they respond to her and i think that by having someone like her she instills that toughness in them so they don't think about what's actually going on they just react
1: definitely for sure yeah and um I when I play one on one against Darby, uh she she honestly throws me around sometimes. <laughs> and I gotta I gotta take a step back and say, This is my thirteen year old sister <laughs> and I cannot start hack a her. <laughs> oh man, well well
0: I don't play against Kaya so much. Uh Kaya hates to play with me. She even hates to do anything, basketball with me. But her 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 mom is brutal on her, like uh, hip checking her and slinging her around and like mm-hmm. telling her to. Um, I'm gonna stay out of this one. You know, I'm just gonna watch. <laughs> I'm fun dad. You know,
1: I'm just gonna be fun yeah, dad. Yeah. You know, but you know, until the games, and then and then you're <laughs> screaming, and then you're at the ref's neck. <laughs> well, my, my problem with that is – this is the only problem
0: I have. Um, no, so they're, they're reffing these games of this age group. Um, it's a lot of teaching and instructing that can go on from the coaches and the officials at this age. But, you know, some of these officials are getting paid good money, and you don't even never see them pass half court in these youth league games. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to do it right and and, and and help the kids and explain the kids, I mean, why are you out here? You know, mm-hmm. and that, that's my right. biggest thing. It's like, dude, can you at least cross, cross half court? you know, like put some effort into it. You know, I know you got like five or six games, but Hey, this is what you signed up for. Right. Right. But, uh, moving on, you know, like we, this is a, an interesting podcast. Like I said, we, we literally have grown up on, on different sides of the track and our, and our lives have intertwined and made us neighbors in this neighborhood. But, you know, with everything going on in the world, how do you think? Um, what part does sports play in 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 the world, and what's going on with everything?
1: Man, um, that's that's such a big question because sports. I'm gonna try not to speak on the whole world. I don't want to, you know, speak on other experiences. But for me, sports has been a huge, huge part of my life growing up. Um, I've been playing basketball since the time I could first start dribbling. And um, I've also been playing football. I played football uh, in high school. Um, but, yeah, sports is – sports – you know that that, that uh, clip we use in our intro song of the shut up and dribble? Yeah. Like, man, that, that pissed me off so much because sports to me is inherently uh, political. I think um, sports is, you know – Sports really brings us together, but it, it it is competition at its core. And whenever any different type of people from different type of places are competing one against one another, it's inherently political. And um, for me, sports really is a bridge into these conversations, into deeper conversations. Because, you know, sports is, is competition, but it's lighthearted competition. We're not, it's not, the Coliseum or the gladiators fighting to the death anymore. You know, we're, we're just playing ball and we're having fun. We're getting out our, we're getting sweat, tears, all that good stuff out. So we don't have to include it in our regular day lives. But, you know, I think of all the movies and all the TV shows that are just solely about sports. And to say, to tell someone to shut up and dribble is just absolutely ridiculous because, you know, half of our half of our media outlets, half of, like, if you ask anybody what their top ten movies are, I guarantee you, like, three of them, or four of them, are sports movies, like, Remember the Titans, um, Friday Night Lights, uh, the Hoosiers, you know, these are all classics, and it's not just, a movie isn't just the sound of a ball dribbling, you know, <laughs> there's dialogue, so there's obviously so much political stuff going on, but to get to the heart of your question, I think sports is, you know, a bridge into deeper conversations because we can always come back to it and when we are getting heated in conversations or getting, um, you know, as we as we further, uh, we seem to get further and further apart from each other, we can always come back and say, you know, you caught the game Saturday night. You can always come back on it, back to it um, and brings us together, brings us closer together.
0: You know, through,
1: you know I was fortunate enough,
0: I played I'm, look, not a football guy, love to watch it, uh, did not want to get hit. So I mm-hmm. applaud everyone out there that played football. Um, you know, I just, uh, I stayed away from it. <laughs> but, you know, I played baseball all my life, ran track and field, played basketball, was fortunate enough to go to college, uh, played four free years on scholarship. And like you had said, you know, sports bring so many people together from around so from so many different places so many different backgrounds so many different ethnic groups social economic statuses that uh you know I on one of my first teams I coached I think I had like maybe four or five international kids and English was not their first language but guess what we all understood basketball and right. we all found some way to to communicate and I think that you know "Oh can you we almost did, D. Um, imagine a world without sports. What would you think it would be like? Because we almost was in that situation for a while.
1: Right. That's what. That's why I was just talking about this earlier. I do not know what this the state of this country would be like if the NBA season was canceled or the MLB or the NFL. Um, I, we were we would like you thought we were at each other's necks with them, like without it without that like escape i don't know what would have happened
0: and it is and it's amazing what you know what put it like this i i use this example we live in a world where we live in a world we live in place we live in communities where everything sometimes we all live together but sometimes we're so segregated um some of these places where people may live may not be a single white person or it may not be a single black person or a single Asian or a single Mexican. I don't want Mexican – I don't want to leave anyone out. But you can have one group of people hate another group of people so much, but they would cheer for that different athlete on their favorite sports team like it's their best friend. Right. And that's what I find, like, amazing sometimes that, you know, you hate this group – this person may hate this group of people so bad. But, hey, as long as that player player is on their favorite team, they're rooting for
1: everyone. And that's that's things I just do not understand. Yeah, man. Me neither because I think that goes back into the whole shut up and dribble thing. It's like, do you really see these people on – especially professional athletes, do you see these people on television and think this is who they are, like, solely? Like, this is just who they are. All they do is they wake up, they play football or basketball and then they go to sleep like how do you not understand that these people are just as like just as complex of an individual as you are and have just as many different viewpoints and different experiences as you do i, I don't see how one's head um but it does and it's frustrating
0: well, you know, growing up in the deep South, you know, uh, it, it was different. It was different. So this is a breakdown. Uh, grew up in the South, uh, went to college in the South, um, transferred to another college in the South, then started my work career in the South, <laughs> then moved mm-hmm. to two cities, in. The, went to one city in the Midwest, went to another city in the Midwest, then went to Miami then went from Miami to LA and then LA to Arizona for a minute and then back to LA. Now I'm in Chicago to after COVID. Then I'll be back in LA and I have lived all these different places and I have experienced some unpleasant things in some of these places. But the thing that the most astonishing was I live around the corner from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in my nine years in that resident, I want to say probably the first year and a half, two years, I probably was pulled over like nine times. Yeah. On the same street. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going home. Where are you <laughs> live at? Uh, up the street. Do you know what's going on in the neighborhood? Uh, yeah, I live in this neighborhood. Um, yeah. To the one point, I was this is hilarious, but it's not. But I was walking from my mailbox one time, going in my driveway, and I heard someone say, hey, hey, where are you going? And I'm like, I looked at him like, I'm going home. And he's like, come here. And I just kept walking up my driveway, like, get out of here, dude. But,
1: you know. Wait, it, what, like a random person on the street? No, no, no. It was actually like one of the sheriff deputies that that,
0: uh-huh. that, that patrols. I don't know what he was doing. He was just walking. But I don't. I, I just don't. I, I just don't get it. Uh, but I have been pulled over around the corner from the school, uh, in front of the school, uh, on Lock Crescent Avenue, coming up the hill to come home, in yeah. um, Glendale, um, around the corner in Glendale. And this was was funny. So the last time that it happened to me, I was like, you know what? I'm. I'm not doing it no more. Um, so I actually went to court Mm -hmm. and when I got in front of the judge, well, this was was funny. So the officer that had wrote me the ticket and wrote me everything, he just made up anything he could write. Um, he was doing, you know, when you check into the courthouse and the police station, you have to go through the metal detector. Mm -hmm. He was working that station. I recognized him. He didn't recognize me. So as I'm going through, he's like, hey, you look real familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, I get that a lot. He's like, you play football? You play for the Raiders? You play for such and such? And I'm like, no, man, I just got one of them familiar faces. So long story short, I went through the metal detector, got in the courthouse. Um, the Lord must have been with me that day. Uh, my, my judge was Hispanic. So when it was my time to go, the cop that had wrote me the ticket, was also in there because I guess they had to show up for the ticket they wrote, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the, the judge called me up, he was reading the violations whatever. And I, and I said, your honor, may I say a word? And he said, yeah, go ahead. I said, your honor, I said, I've been pulled over several times in this neighborhood. I said, some of the people, I said, if you look at my license and you look at the address, I said some of the people in this courtroom do not think I reside at the address that's on that documentation. And he looked at it. Then he looked at me, and he was like, I've been dealing with this my whole life. And he hit the gavel and then said, hey, court, uh, case dismissed. And I was like, wow, you know. And just, I Just,
1: just like that, that. Just like that.
0: He's yeah. like, basically, I've been dealing with the same thing all my life, case dismissed, you know. Yeah. But uh, that was the last, put it like this, and knock on wood. I have never been pulled over again since then. I got an official apology letter from the town, the sheriff's office, and I, I joke around. I think they, they hung my picture up in the sheriff's, sheriff's <laughs> office. Sheriff's, they like, hey, don't pull this guy over.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I'm born and raised uh Los Angeles, but raised in Glendale, California, and specifically my town is called La Crescenta. And, um, we have a large Armenian and Asian population, um, as well as just white people. And, um, but yeah, like you are saying, there are not, uh, there are not a lot of black people in our, in my community. And, um, I know that is, that has played a role in, uh, a lot of my, uh, a lot of friends decisions to come live here. Um, we, one of our fam close family friends is, um, a lesbian couple and they, uh, they adopted a uh, black girl and um, one of the reasons they did not come to live in La Crescenta was because there are no black people here and they do not, they did not want their girl to be raised with no other black people around. And um, it's weird, like uh, to be someone who's grown up here and then to move to Missouri (laughs) right after Ferguson, right after Mizzou's uh, protests, At um the foot for their football team, uh, I don't know if you know about that, uh. But basically, the football team went on strike. Um, a lot of students went on a hunger strike, uh, because our um, uh, director of our uh, player association or something I can't remember his official title. He got caught saying some really racist stuff. But I came in the year after that, and uh, then you know a few years later, here we are, um, with George Floyd. And Breonna Taylor and all that, and we were protesting in Columbia and all that. To come go from La Santa, California to that kind of environment was just it's shocking, man. Like, uh, it really does. I mean, it, it from like I didn't even realize how, uh, how little I knew really about, about our country, about like our world. And, um, just as a white person, like I I really can, I I understand when white people can just be so ignorant about these issues because they grow up in segregated areas and they just don't know. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, I'm sorry to hear about that stuff happening, but, uh, our police, our police force is notorious for just being, you know, um, I don't think we should swear on this, but you know, not great people. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I so um,
0: it's I I i know every black person that lives in locker center i'm, I'm the pre- i'm the president of black people in locker center like if you want to know anything i know what they drive i know where they live i know where their house is i know if they got kids because i'm the black person president of locker center I'm, I'm crowning myself can i be the king can i be the black king
1: of locker center i think i can get a crown <laughs> I, I think that i don't know if uh I think that throne is empty right now. So, if you just want to go ahead and sit down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, just going to go ahead and crown myself. Because I know, look, I know everybody, and everybody you know
0: me. I'm the only black guy at the Y most of the time. And then, the, what's funny is, it's the code, D. So, when you see another black person, we'll see each other in Vons. You know, you got to give them that, that nod and that wink. Like, what's up? You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. Hey, my wife be like, do you know that dude? Nah, but, you know, like, like he, he know. He know me. You know, he know the struggle. You know, we, we really... <laughs> We together in this, but it was funny when I, my daughter went, you know, you all went to the same high school. She's years year or so after you. Mm-hmm. And I met the principal and the principal was like, you know, I asked the principal, the assistant principal the first time, Hey, me black people y'all got to go here. <laughs> and she was like, we got like six. And I like, I know all of them because two of them are mine. you know? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, all right, she going to be in good hands. Cause I know somebody going to be looking, go be looking out for them. But, uh-huh. I had, look, one, we moved from Miami. So we came from a place where, we came from Miami. We came from a place where it was predominantly Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Miami, Miami is a true, true melting pot. That's one of the most diverse cities I have ever ever lived in. Um, Before that, we were in Cincinnati and we got to, no, before, before Miami, we were in Indianapolis uh, Indianapolis, what people don't know, is probably one of my best cities and best places I have ever lived. It's one of the most diverse places. Uh, you know, I had never been before I took an interview there. So I had imagined cornfields and basketball goals on barns, but you know, Indianapolis is actually the 12th largest city in the country. I think it's the largest landlocked city and the cost of living is phenomenal. Um, (laughs) Before that, I was in Cincinnati. So I literally got to Cincinnati right after the the first one of the first riots, mm-hmm. um, where a young a young man was, I think he was shot at a white castle or something, and it sparked a a, a match and lit the city on fire, like like literally lit the city on fire. Uh-huh. So I came right after that, um, and this is my experience in Cincinnati. And I have talked to some friends that have also came from other places to Cincinnati at that point, Cincinnati was probably the most racist place that I had ever lived in my life. Um people would be like, Well, you're from Alabama, and I'm like, Mm-mm, not like this, you know, at least in the South, hey, you don't like me, I don't like you, I'm gonna stay on my side of the tracks, you gonna stay on your side of the tracks, right. but it's just you know the time the time during i mean I'm sure Cincinnati is great now, but the time when I was in Cincinnati man, you could just feel the tension. You could feel the, the racial tension in the air. Um, I would have some people tell me, you know, I left, I came, I was in Atlanta before Cincinnati. So, you know, Atlanta back then was like the new chocolate city. Everybody was moving to Atlanta. But I would have people be like, why you come to Cincinnati? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, why not? Yeah. But, you know, I, um, you know, Cincinnati, it was an interesting place where I live. But to go back to where I was headed, I didn't even know what a what Armenian was until I moved to Glendale, and it was funny because Kaya, my youngest daughter, her teacher at her school in Florida, in Miami, was Armenian, mm-hmm. and I never I never knew. I just figured, you know, I did, you know, Miami's a melting pot. I never went to ask. When she asked me where we were moving, and I told her where well, we're going to Glendale, California, she's like, "Oh, all my family live there, you know," and she just started telling me about, you know, the Ar- Armenian and the culture. And everything. And so I, I, you know, you hear about the the population of certain places and you like, ah, oh, but when I, when I moved there, I was like, man, this is predominantly an Armenian city. Yeah. And, you know, I, I learned their culture. I learned, you know, they, they, their, their, their ancestors went through something terrible in their <laughs> history too. And I, they, they educated me on that. So, you know, but this is the, the point I'm trying to make. To know about a person's experience, you have to actually be willing to listen to them tell you about it. Mm-hmm. And I took the time out to give an ear so I could learn about what their ancestors went through, what are some of the injustices that they go through and they see. And I have a couple of my very, very good friends are in Glendale, California. And, you know, the mo- the funniest thing I, I- I'll never forget. Uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he's probably listening. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> He was like, hey, man, he was like, we we brothers, and, you know? And I'm looking, I'm like, all right. He was like, hey, you know, we, we in my country, we, we just like black people. You know, they treat us like black people. Like they treat us like they treat you all here. That's how they treat us in my country. And I was like, OK, you know, I was just listening. And he's like, "And hey, brother, he's like, hey, we both like nice cars and we like jewelry. We brothers. I was like, OK, <laughs> now, that's my boy you know, and everything. But now, D. Locker Center was not a place I have ever been, and had never. Esp- I lo- hey, I love my city. I love I love
1: where we live. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie, but but it it was different. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful place, but uh, it, and it's even crazier when you think that, like Los Angeles, the melting point, the the melting pot that Los Angeles is, is right down the street from us, and. It just like you just drive down the two, and it's you're in a completely different place, and um, that definitely effect, there's definitely a Los Angeles bubble that sort of affects um, Lacrosena, where you know we view ourselves as the uh progressive capital of the United States, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, like we just kind of assume that the rest of the country is like this, <laughs> like that. People, like, there's also, I mean, not in Lacrosena, but in LA, especially, I find um talking to um younger people from LA i find like a lot of people kind of just like think either the rest of the country is just like super far behind or you know they either like look down on them or they look as like they don't even think that the rest of the country is different from los angeles which is ridiculous and um yeah i i, I what, what, when you were saying uh to learn about another person background it, it, you have to put yourself out there um and you have to be ready to feel uncomfortable you have to be ready to be wrong about a, a lot of things and you know there's a lot like a lot of people do not want to feel that they don't want to feel uncomfortable and they definitely don't want to be wrong and uh it just it, it's a tough like it no one says it's easy to, to understand and to learn about someone else's background But, you know, it's necessary. And I think it it comes with conversations like these and conversations that you're having with other coaches. Um, And, yeah, uh, uh, one of my moments that I experienced in St. Louis that was really um, addressing my own, uh, you know, my own ignorance and my own. um, Yeah, just ignorance was uh, I was helping one of my classmates film her um, uh, film her capstone film her capstone documentary and it took place it was about her family and she she's a black woman and it was about her family's uh her family had a murder um happened between family members in uh inner st louis and um so we went to film at uh, a mosque in inner st louis uh where her family members used to worship and we were we were sitting there and we were setting up the tripod and we are filming outside of this mosque. And I am already extremely uncomfortable because I remember driving in into St. Louis and then it hitting me being like, wait, where in St. Louis are we going again? You say East St. Louis? and it Oh, was don't this, you go across there. That's Nelly. Remember that? Yeah, Across that, yeah. that bridge. I was like, wait, where are we going? And just like thinking about all the statistics that it's like, oh, St. Louis, the murder capital world and stuff like that. And just like. Like, I was legitimately scared. (laughs) I was legitimately (laughs) scared. And we're sitting there filming in front of a mosque. And I look up, and there's this, I swear to God, this man looked like a a Black Panther. He was coming out. He had um, a long leather trench coat, uh, these sunglasses that were just, like, iced out. They were just silver. You could not see his eyes. And he was just walking straight towards us with a purpose. And I'm not going to lie, Jason, if I had a purse, I would have clutched it. I would have clutched it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, and he comes up and he goes, and we got. I'm filming with her. And he goes, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? And uh, Catherine, the girl who I'm helping film uh, politely and easily, just explains that she's filming a documentary about her family and blah, blah. blah. And he goes, what's your family's name? And she tells him Hoffman and he goes, no way. I know your cousin. He's about to be here five minutes. And like all of a sudden in a blur, we're talking to several members of her family. And later on, we get invited into the mosque to film. And we have all these like really great conversations and are just having these like conversations about religion, about race um, about like sex, about women and, 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 um, um, the Islam, uh, nation and, 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 and like, oh, and next thing I know, the fear, the fear and the anxiety, it's gone. It's just, you, you have to, it, it, the the scariest part is reaching out the first time and having these conversations, having these dialogues, putting yourself in that position. And, and then it's great. Like you make, I've made so many friends because of this and friends from diverse backgrounds and have conversations that I would not have had with other white people. Like it would just would not have had. And, and it's one of my fondest memories. It's one of the, I think one of the biggest experiences that has helped sculpt me as a person. And um, I, the, like, that's also a part, big part of uh, the reason I'm so thankful you yeah. reached out for for me to do this because I get to listen in on conversations that you are having that I would not usually be able to. And it's just, it's awesome. So.
0: No, I, I think like to go back to what you said, we're
1: we're all uncomfortable in certain
0: situations. So there's nothing wrong with you being uncomfortable in that, in that situation. Cause I remember <laughs> I was working in Cincinnati. Um, at one of the affiliates as a news photographer, videographer, editor, blah, blah, blah. But out of probably 30 out of 30, News photographers at the station? It's only, you know what? I think I was the only black photographer that shot news, and then we had two other black guys, you know, stereotypical, that shot sports, and that's like three out of 30 people. But for some damn odd reason, they always sent me out to the east side of Cincinnati where ain't no black people out there but me shooting. So I'm always the one sticking. I was always the one sticking out like a sore (laughs) thumb. The actual community was Batavia. If you ever get a chance, look it up on the map. But I seemed like I was always on the Batavia duty, sending me out there. Or if I wasn't there, you know, they called downtown Cincinnati. I was always over the Rhine. Like, I was either in the hood or out in in God's country, you Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, it was just – I just found it amazing that I always got these assignments. Or it's a shooting right before 11 o'clock. Guess who had to stay late and go? Me. Send me to the shooting, you know. But – you know it was good money. I'm not gonna lie, overtime back then when he actually made it. But you know it was. It's just you know the the funniest thing. D. <laughs> I was doing marketing and advertising, uh, working in the marketing department at the TV station where I actually got to uh, make fun commercials and fun marketing material for the station. But we had this. Uh, I'm gonna say executive because I don't want to give it away and i guess back then this is like oh six oh seven they were thinking about buying a show and so i had never seen a show in my life ever and i remember the person asking me hey thinking about buying a couple seasons of everybody hates chris I i heard it's a good show and a lot of your people like it what do you think and i'm like huh never seen that show my people what do you mean my people like that you know which i actually seen it and actually i think it's pretty darn funny now after i actually seen mm-hmm. it but uh you know he didn't know he was and he seriously didn't mean anything about it he was seriously asking me a question for some advice he just uh, you know some people just don't know or just didn't know how he came off and the one thing i can say about moving to la la and you let me know you've been out here all your life um I, mm-hmm. i'm a transplant i think in l a we're segregated by social economic status people can- aff- people live where they can afford to live what do you think
1: oh yeah oh how um i'm i'm working on a um an uh another project with um sunrise organization which is a a climate a youth led climate activist group um and we're doing uh we're talking about a lot about housing and there's uh this i mean yeah no we talk about housing as a form of policing and um there is when you look into it you can see in la where we have pushed um communities that are predominantly communities of color and we have pushed them out further and further and basically pushed them out into the desert uh and like i just today um i uh a dad thankfully uh 65 and older got the vaccine and we got the vaccine for COVID at the forum and the forum is in um, East LA and, uh, or South. Central. Inglewood. Yeah. Inglewood. And we, uh, it's just driving through and it's like this poverty is so unnecessary and it's solely, it's really based on just like racism and just, you know, that we can go so like, that could be a whole nother episode man talking about housing and and all of that i, th- I think it needs to be what what do they yeah. call it
0: is it green lighting or what do they call it Regenerification. i've seen a couple shows on youtube about it where they they show the process of regeneration and yeah you know but uh you know and like this is so i was uh doing some some school work consulting work at is is this uh inner city school uh school district and i told the kids where i lived at <laughs> and they was like oh you live over the over the hill. And I'm mm-hmm. like, huh? And they was like, you live over the hill. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They was like, you live over the Hollywood sign. We call that mm-hmm. over the hill. So I said, well, actually, I live over the hill, over the hill, because, you know, we're, we're on the back other side of Glendale. So I'm like, actually, you got to go over two hills to get to where I live at. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're rich. You're rich. <laughs> you know, they start hitting me up. I'm like, uh, but you know, D, we get that from some people in our neighborhood. When we tell them we live up Locker Center Avenue. They was like, "Oh, you live up top, right?" And I'm like, "Uh, it's really not that much different than down bottom. We just don't want to run up that hill, you know, yeah. <laughs> and everything." But you know, that's one thing that you know what we said about this podcast that we were actually discuss some of these issues that you know some of these issues are are uncomfortable for a lot of people, and they're uncomfortable because let me read you this. This this is something I read today. Before I'm we can listening. okay so before we can solve a problem we must first acknowledge that there is a problem. What do you think about that?
1: Absolutely, man. I think I mean that's just that's in the process of of all recovery. Um if you're an alcoholic, the first step is admitting that you're an alcoholic. That's just how it is.
0: So I posted some on Twitter the other day.
1: I I've been on a so
0: you know for me this this hits close to home because you know i'm from a rural country alabama town city and you know the the line was you know growing up it's not it's not like that anymore in some pockets it still is um you know i grew i went to high school in a good community where everybody was everybody but you know sometimes that line was divided and that line was there where you know if And since I have been in LA, I have heard this a lot, but I heard a lot on these Zooms where we got some coaches that describe a certain type of play as either jungle ball or rat ball when a team of color plays a certain way. But when a team that does not look like that team of color plays that same way is either they play so hard and they just play aggressive. So, you know, and I knew a lot of people wasn't going to touch that tweet because they stay away – you know, people, they, pe- people stay away from controversial things, you know. But, you know, I wanted to make a point to know that, you know, what you're basically saying is the team of color, one, I'm pretty sure none of those kids have ever played in the jungle before, so they don't know what jungle ball is. And I'm pretty sure none of those kids have ever played with rats, so they definitely don't know where rat ball is. But I think sometimes – you know, we get so comfortable saying certain things that they may not understand the tone of mood or something that it could set to someone else listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to be careful with some of our words when we're, when and just in, in the world in athletics and when we're doing something, because something that you may make light of or think fun, somebody else may take it a different approach.
1: Yeah. I completely agree. I I actually have um, something I want to read here myself. That is uh uh, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> so apparently, in sixth grade, um, so I would have been 12 years old. Uh, I was given an assignment to um write a letter to myself now. So I just received that letter after graduating college. Um, so this is uh my sixth grade self uh writing a letter to me now. Um, so yeah, ten. This is 10 years ago. We're ready? Let's go. Dear Danny Satan. Congrats, you're in college. Well, guess what? I'm still in sixth grade with that cruel Miss Whithome. Can you still remember sixth grade promotion? I'm not even at sixth grade promotion yet. Man, this is stupid. I really hope you remember how I felt when I wrote this retarded assignment. I wonder if you're on the basketball team. Oh, and if you still don't like LB James, I will find you, man. That would be sad. If you don't have a girlfriend, that would be sad. So please be cool and have a sweet college. And don't fail your tests. Mom still kills me now. Why would she not do it to you then? Man, I'm awesome. Un- <laughs> not signed or anything. But <laughs> the one of the things that I wanted to key in is is a specific word I used in this letter. Um, and uh, it's that it's that R word in there. And for me, when I first read this, it honestly froze me because I was just like I was kind of I, I was embarrassed and and it's just like using that word is just is kind of ridiculous. But then I started like really thinking about it and, and really understanding my age when I wrote that, wrote this letter and I was 12 years old and just like 10 years from then, 60% of the sounds that were coming out of my mouth were fart sounds. (laughs) So, you know, I just think like, we have to, we, on this, we have to see that we are, we are learning with every year we go. And we say a lot of stupid things in our lifetime, a lot of stupid things. And it is not out of the question to be told, Hey man, that word or what you said there, that hurt me, that hurt my community. And I'd really appreciate it if you didn't use that. And we should understand that That is totally fine. And we should hear that and work on that. Um, and understand that we're learning every single day we're learning and we should not be afraid to be questioned on what we have learned and how we act upon it um, and and work on it. Because that's what we do every single moment we're on this earth is we're taking in things and we're processing them and we're experiencing them and then we're moving forward. And um, I hope this podcast helps you do that because I'm embarrassed that I wrote that word. Um, but also I can look back and see that I've grown and I know that I don't use that word and I know how, how heavy that word is on on a specific community. And, you know, we, we can get past these things if we just choose to work on them and acknowledge them. We have to acknowledge when we go wrong, when we messed up and work on them to be better.
0: And it's like, you know, the things that's going on. We, we, with what you just said, you know, I saw another post that said, man, our country has never been this divided ever. <laughs> and then I saw some people that I know from Alabama was like, um, this colored water fountain yeah. blacks only sign. This was only like 60, 70 years <laughs> ago. So, so no, this country has been more divided than it is now. And it was only 67 60 or 70 years ago when it was actually, you know, when it actually was the norm. I can remember my grandmother. I, I'm old enough that when I remember my great, I, I have a chance to remember my great-grandmother and my great-granddad, uh, Miss Peggy and Mr. Plute. That was their names. But I can remember telling my grandmother back in the day, Grandma, my back hurt. And she was getting mad at me. She was like, you ain't got no back. You got a gristle. That's what they used to tell us when we was picking that cotton. Keep picking. Stop talking. You ain't got no back. Back to hurt. And, you know, this was only like 60, 70, 80 years I ago, know. you know, that that we were, we you know, that we were actually going going through this. And I uh, I had some, some, some people that I work with kind of took offense to, uh, I had posted something one time on Facebook that said um it was like, you know, people get mad with with the mask only, you know, when when stores putting up signs that said mask only do not enter. If you don't have a mask. And I saw one of my friends that posted, well, if you think, if you get mad over this sign, how do you think we felt over this sign saying colors, not allowed or, or, or no black people allowed or colors only, you know? And it was like, you know, Hey, get over it, man. We, we gotta, we, we gotta acknowledge that it happened and we gotta be able to have these conversations so we can move on. Look, you don't have to agree with everyone, but you can respect everyone and respect their opinion. And sometimes you're just going to have to agree to disagree. But I think the key word is respect. And I think that, you know, hopefully, you know, what we've seen on January 6th, I I don't know how the history books are going to explain it. What what do you think?
1: I don't know, man. I hope, I hope it changes. I mean, when you look at what our history books have been, like how just recently it feels like um, like uh, colored photos of, the, of MLK and Malcolm X and the Civil Rights Movement are just now being released. And like in all our textbooks, they're all black and white and they make it seem like it was so much longer ago than it actually was. I hope we get it right this time. We figured out that like I was saying, I, there's a reason that we don't learn our mistakes. And that's because uh, there's a class of people that do not want us to learn our mistakes. They want to keep us separate. We, They do not want to keep see. They don't want us to realize that we have a lot more in common than we do different. And,
0: you know. You know, from that January 6th, um, one of the most disturbing images for me. and and I, and I hope this is in the history books when when they re reprint this seeing that gentleman with that confederate flag in in the state capitol i mean Ugh. hey from a from a photographer standpoint hey that was an excellent shot mm-hmm. that, that was like that was like a money I shot agree. but for what it actually stood for and what it stands for you know that's like a victory that's like a victory lap for a certain certain group yeah. group of people you know that's like that that's hist- you know for a certain group of people that's history that confederate flag was in the state capitol yeah
1: i mean that's wh- was
0: in in the home of the union exactly
1: that's what the civil war was all <laughs> for. it's almost like the, the confederates won they had won it just took them longer than we thought
0: but that was a, you know from a photography from from what you and i do yeah. your dad your mom we do hey that was a money yeah, shot that's... you know that that you could have sold that for probably whatever name your price yeah. Because whoever caught that, you know, congrats on having that eye. But that's one of the most disturbing images for me from this, uh, what do they call it, insurrection? Yeah, yeah. Of, of the Capitol, <laughs> you know, that was, that was that's the one thing that I actually, you know, <laughs> I was talking to your dad and he was telling me about the guy with the horn hat and dressed like with the paint <laughs> on his face. And, <laughs> but that that one shot is something that I will always remember remember from January 6th is that guy holding that, the Confederate flag in in the, in the Capitol. Yeah. For me, that's the one thing that stands out, but you know, normally we don't talk this heavy (laughs) about stuff on here. You know, we don't as much as we are, but we just thought it'd be good just to, you know, talk and let you hear, you know, a little bit of us. And, you know, as we go on, we'll do this more often, but we'll just take a break from some guests and, you know, we'll we'll have a show where we do it together and, and everything. But um we got some good guests coming yep. up in the next couple of weeks. And you know, they they tackle some of these issues and and, and some of these these things we have talked about tonight on, on and on top of their successful careers in whatever sports they, they may they may have because you know, this show is not just bound to basketball coaches. Um, if you want to come on, you can hit us up anytime. We'd we'll love to have you on. And, you know, Danny Mack, you know, he's probably hey, one of the best executive producers out there. Uh, hey, D. Yeah, what's up? What My 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 teacher, when I was – so X amount of years ago. Look, I'm not going to tell my age, again, <laughs> you know. But when I was uh, coming up, studying the same thing you studied in college. I had this one professor and he, he made it a point It was like, everything's a cycle. Uh, he told us, you need to know how to do everything inside of a TV station. You need to know how to shoot. You need to know how to write. You need to know how to edit. You need to know how to do photography, videography. That way you will always have a job doing something. Uh, and, and that's a talent that you have and you have picked up. Well, you can do it all, man. And, and
1: what, what do you credit that to? What do you think? uh well first of all i appreciate that jason that means a lot coming from you as mm-hmm. uh someone who's been in this business for some time and like listening to the interviews you do man you're just so smooth with it I, i'm always impressed but um uh I, I mean there's so much to credit uh my parents are both journalists are both very successful journalists my education at mizzou um and you know just like just my drive i mean I'm right now I'm looking up in my bedroom. I got a uh, uh, Kobe Bryant jersey hanging up and, uh, you know, um, especially today because it's, his, it's, his one year anniversary, man. Um, it's just, you know, I, I, well, he, I just retweeted a video on Twitter about him talking about how his Mamba mentality can be applied to any profession across the board. And just, it's about, it's about the little things, about pushing yourself and wanting it and, the effort. And that's what I've, that's what I've learned is like, if, if you want anything, you can achieve it. It's just all about the effort and I'm not done yet. And I, I really appreciate you for saying something like that. So kind like that. So
0: now, man, cause you, you got to think you, um, you, you grew up in a home of uh, journalistic royalty, Yeah, you know, and, and the torches being passed past you right. Um, with that. I live in a home of, I'm the only person in my home who doesn't have an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was Emmy nominated. I just didn't win it. And uh, you know, when you you come in our profession, you know, all my friends that I work with in TV, they're you know, they're they're Emmy. They have multiple Emmys, multiple Peabody awards. Uh, you know, they have reached the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I took a different path. Um, journal journalism, digital media, broadcasting was my first um, career love. Um, Athletics is my first true love. And when I got the opportunity to hop back on the athletic side and and start coaching, um, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. But I tell people, the best thing about it is, I get to do the best of both worlds because I get to coach, um, I still freelance at one of the local stations, and I even get to teach tv video production broadcasting digital journalism so i'm like you know i'm i'm, I'm living yeah. the life because i actually get to do the two things that that i, that I want to do and it's like you said it's because of the hard work and the effort mm-hmm. that i applied when i was learning things to put myself in, in these positions to be able to do do these things the only thing is now d i, I hate editing man. <laughs> um I I just That's why you got me. <laughs> like I <laughs> like, like I still can edit. I put the promo together for this yeah. podcast. And and when I you know, I'm a I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to that stuff like yes. that. I, I what you and I can see, uh some people can't see it. I can see when a when a time frame when a frame is off or when I need to you know, the audio doesn't match right. up. But you know, you have to have that that perfectionist to actually work work in this trade and you know, I think you're you you have done something that I want to do. I'm just uh, lazy. I don't want to edit uh-huh. no no documentary did, no documentary. <laughs> and shoot what did
1: uh What did Marcus Peters say? He said, "I think we ain't done yet." <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Well, everyone, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, we'll we'll tackle some more of these issues as we get down the road. Danny Matt, got anything to say before we bounce?
1: Thank you for listening, man. And uh, yeah. I'm I'm ready to get into these interviews.
0: All right. Well here we go, everyone. Thanks for listening tonight and we'll catch you beyond the bounce on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good one.